This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. Others call it non-dual awareness, liberation, enlightenment, or spiritual awakening. It is the heart of all spiritual traditions. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning. This is Marshall Davis. It's the holiday season and Christians are gearing up to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Even people of other faiths or of no faith who do not celebrate the holiday are regularly exposed to reminders of the Bible story and Christmas carols, Christmas cards, outdoor nativity scenes, and television Christmas specials. Those of us who attend church can expect the Advent worship services to be filled with references to the birth of Jesus, including sermons on the biblical birth narratives. Most Christian preachers approach the stories in a traditional way. With maybe a few tweaks here and there, most preachers treat the stories as if they are historical fact. They know better from their seminary education, but they see no reason to upset the regular attenders or the Christmas and Easter attenders with the scholarly findings of historical criticism. Furthermore, preachers tend to interpret the stories from a traditionally Western, meaning a very dualistic, point of view. Heaven and earth, saved and lost, God and men, etc. In this episode today, I'm going to come at the stories differently. I'm going to interpret the biblical Christmas stories in a non-dual manner. The first thing that is important when interpreting the Christmas stories is to see them as symbolic rather than literal. The consensus of biblical scholars, at least non-fundamentalist ones, is that the biblical Christmas nativity narratives are not historical fact. They are Christian tradition that was formed decades after the lifetime of Jesus. The earliest of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, has no birth stories. Likewise, the only Gospel that has ties to one of the original twelve disciples of Jesus the Gospel of John likewise has no birth narrative. If you try to take these stories historically, you immediately run into problems. For example, the two birth narratives, one in the Gospel of Matthew and one in the Gospel of Luke, do not even agree on when Jesus was born, not even what decade he was born, much less a year. Matthew says that Jesus was born during the lifetime of Herod the Great, who we know died in 4 BC. The Gospel of Luke places it during the census that took place, it says, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now Quirinius became governor of Syria in 6 AD, which was also, we know, the year of the Roman census. That's at least 10 years after Matthew's date. So they can't both be right. But 
fundamentalists will say they are. They will perform all sorts of hermeneutical gymnastics trying to make the two accounts agree because they have to believe that there are no errors in the Bible. But it's like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Furthermore, there are other problems. The Gospel of Luke says that everyone in the Roman Empire had to go back to their ancestral home for the census, which for Joseph was Bethlehem. But we know that Romans never required that. Can you imagine the logistical nightmare if everyone in the whole Roman Empire had to go back to their ancestral home in order to be counted for a census? And what would be the purpose of that anyway? would be no governmental purpose. It never happened. The census in Luke's Christmas story was a literary device used to get the pregnant Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born in the city of David, thereby making him eligible to be the Jewish Messiah. So the story has a theological purpose. It's not based on history, but on theology. The Christmas stories had to be interpreted theologically, not historically. As a friend of mine used to say, literarily, not literally. Every biblical scholar knows that the Christmas stories are myths created by the church long after the lifetime of Jesus by people who did not know Jesus. And they had to be interpreted mythically. So let's take a look at these stories. One is the virgin birth, which is included in both Matthew and Luke's gospel. Literalists take this literally and assume that this birth of this child was unique. They ignore the fact that miraculous births, including virgin births, were a dime a dozen in the ancient world. The virgin birth is not unique to the story of Jesus. Alexander the Great was said to be born of a virgin. Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, were born of a virgin. Plato's mother was a virgin. Julius Caesar was said to be born of a virgin. These births were accompanied by miraculous signs and were prophesied. Caesar Augustus had heavenly signs accompany his birth. It was not unusual to claim that an important person had a miraculous birth with miraculous signs surrounding it. So the question when we come to the Christmas story is not, did it happen? The question is, what did it mean in that time and place? What did it mean to claim that Jesus was born of a virgin? The answer is that such a person was born of God or the gods and therefore divine. In other words, the person was of divine origin. The ancient world was filled with such people, with God kings. Last Sunday was Christ the King Sunday in Christian churches. So we celebrate it in our church. 
Christians call Jesus Lord and God and King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But Caesar Augustus was also a God King that had the same titles. Egyptian pharaohs were God Kings. Japanese emperors were God Kings right up to the 20th century and maybe People still believe that in the 21st century, I'm not sure. Jesus was considered such a divine ruler by early Christians. So what is the spiritual meaning for us now? The meaning is that this is true of all of us. Not that we are virgin born literally, of course but that we are of divine origin. And we see that pointed to even in these Gospels. The genealogy of Jesus and the Gospel of Luke traces his ancestry back to Adam, who is called the Son of God. That means we are all descended from the Son of God. All who are descended from Adam are of divine origin. According to scripture, divine kings claim that they were descended from gods. According to the Bible, we are all descended from God. The virgin birth teaches the divine ancestry that all humans share. We are sons and daughters of God. This is echoed in the central teaching of Christmas and the Christmas stories, which is the Incarnation. This is what the Gospel of John proclaims in its prologue, chapter 1, that takes the place of the birth narratives in that Gospel. Jesus is called, in the Gospel of John, the Logos, the Word, the Divine Word. And it says that this Word was made flesh in Jesus. It goes on to say that all creation was made by this word and through this word. That we, we are all expressions of the divine logos, the divine word of God. That is what incarnation means. It's not just about one special human being born 2,000 years ago named Jesus. When we are in Christ, in Christ is in us experientially, then we are all that one divine word, that logos. We are expressions of God in flesh in various human forms, not just human forms, in all forms. Everything that exists is, is an expression of the word of God, which is what the Genesis 1 account is saying, that God created the world by speaking it into existence. We are all words of God and all of it is one in God. The Star of Bethlehem points to this as well. In the Christmas story the star signifies and announces the birth of one baby born in a stable. But the Star of Bethlehem mythically points to every child. Our first grandchild died at birth, full term, and she would have been healthy but died of 
placental abruption shortly before birth. To honor her, I had a star named after her. And I gave my son and his wife a certificate that identified the star in the heavens with a star map. I also, as part of the package that you could buy, purchased a silver star. That, that was a Christmas ornament with her name engraved on it that could go on their Christmas tree. It was a traumatic time, you can imagine, for them and, and for us. But this... This helped, I think. Now, I know it's just a sales gimmick that no one can, can buy or sell or even name stars. But I love the symbolism. And I love the thought that not only was the star of Bethlehem, Jesus' natal star, but a star shines for every child born or almost born. And all the other stories about the Christ child in Scripture apply to every child. Jesus being born in an animal stall points to those children born in poverty. Jesus described as a refugee when his family had to flee a violent dictator in his homeland and take refuge in another country. Every refugee child today is the Christ child. And as we have done to them, we do to him. The Christmas story says that children were killed by Herod in Bethlehem while he was trying to kill the Christ child. It is called the slaughter of the innocents. That story is about the death of all children in violent lands. And this Christmas, I can't help but think of the deaths of children in Israel and Gaza. Regardless of where one stands in this war, there are a lot of dead children in the Holy Land this Christmas. And as we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, we had to remember the sacredness of all human lives, Jewish lives, Muslim lives, Christian lives. The Quran says whoever kills a person is as if he has killed the whole of humankind. And whoever saves the life of a person is as if he has saved the life of the whole of humankind. The Talmud says the same thing. It says whoever saves a single life is considered by scripture to have saved the whole world. Sounds like common ground between Jew and Muslim to me. I read the Christmas stories about shepherds worshiping the Christ child and I think of the outcasts of society because shepherds were the outcasts of society at that time. They were excluded from the temple worship because they were unclean. But they were welcome at the crib of Christ. So I think of all those people who are excluded from churches today because they are seen as unclean, because they are seen as outsiders by Christians. I'm thinking especially of LGBTQ people, but they are welcomed by the Christ child. When I hear about the Magi, who were religious leaders of another faith, who came to worship 
this Jewish child. I think of how God guides and inspires people of all religions, not just my own. The Christmas narrative speaks of this underlying unity of all faiths. This unicity is what I celebrate at Christmas. The divine word has become flesh in Jesus, the Son of God, and in every human being, and to realize who we really are as children of God, and to realize that we are all one is the goal of the spiritual life. And when the Christmas story is well interpreted, it points us in this direction in order that we might see this reality firsthand for ourselves. That is the non-dual message of Christmas. And that is it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.